to sing those old hymns. That was good. We are going to look at a verse or two here in Matthew. We're going to get to 1 Peter for our main text tonight, but we'll... um, We'll be here in Matthew 26, verse 69 and following. And then John, the book of John, one little portion there. As we refresh our memory concerning um, one of uh, the apostles of Jesus, we're going to remember his... um, relationship with Christ and what the Lord did with him. We read a while ago that the one who begins the good work will complete the work. And there's no, really no better example of, of that truth than what God did for the apostle Peter. So right here in Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 69. Now Peter was sitting Outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear. I Do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said. Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And then over in John... As the story continues with Peter and his relationship with Jesus, here in John 21, that is, verses 15 through 17, just a short passage to show, just to highlight some of the pilgrimage of Peter's life and his relationship with Jesus. It all... It all Uh, centers on one's relationship with Christ. And, And so here we have Peter and Jesus face to face. How would you, how would you like to have been in Peter's sandals at this point? There, there they are face to face. Peter's just, he denied the Lord. Here we are right here. Verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So this relationship that at one time was, uh, was stretched because of Peter's denials uh, comes uh, to fruition and restoration uh, between Jesus and Peter when Jesus is asking him, do you love me? Do you love me? And we're not going to get into the different words for love there and go all into that. But just enough that this is in our minds tonight about where Peter was. And now we're going to read out of his letter. And you can tell by the words that he expresses. Yes, he was moved to the Holy Spirit and and we have God's word right here in 1 Peter chapter 1. But you can tell that Peter is exuberant and encouraging toward other believers. And that, in fact, what Jesus had asked him to do, to feed the lambs, to encourage the lambs, Peter is doing just that, not only in his preaching and in his pastoring, but he is doing just that in his writing of this letter. Um, I like to think that you and I are some of those lambs that Peter is tending as we read this letter tonight. We'll begin in chapter 1 and verse 1. This one, this man, Peter, at one time denying Jesus, now he's an apostle, he is useful in the kingdom of our Lord, and he is writing to folks who are under duress. And he's a tremendous encouragement. So what I'd like to do is read the text 1 through 8, verses 1 through 8 in 1 Peter chapter 1. And then we'll go through it and we'll just take it line by line and we'll move right through these, well, these nine verses. Beginning there at verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, I thought he would have been demoted. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, according to Paul writing to the Romans. And we have that verse a while ago that God will do the work. Jesus will complete the work. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That speaks volumes as to the restored relationship between Peter and and his Lord Jesus. He says, To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ 
and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord, Father in heaven, Your word is of no human invention. Lord, your word is divinely inspired. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It is that uh, daily bread that nourishes our soul. You even said that heaven and earth would pass away, but not the slightest mark, not the smallest mark of your word would ever pass away. So Lord, uh, we ask that you would bring this word home to our hearts. Lord, that we would be edified thereby and more ready to bring you glory, honor, and praise from our lives as we live and walk close to the Savior, our Savior, your Son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the uh, configuration here is that, that Jesus had his special apostles. Nowhere else in the New Testament will you find another position or office attached to Jesus with this same grammatical configuration. We won't get into all the nuances of that. I'll leave that for the English teachers. But just 
uh, to say that the apostles were a special group in relationship with Jesus while Jesus was on earth. And then those who lived beyond the resurrection continued their apostleship. Peter is one of those special apostles. That's what we're saying. Peter was an apostle. He was a representative, an ambassador of Christ, and he was gifted. You know, you can read the first uh, few chapters in the book of Acts, and that's uh, uh, concentrated material on the ministry of Peter. He's an apostle. We're reading about the same Peter here. We're reading his writing, the same Peter that denied Christ. We're reading the same Peter who was restored to Christ. And now he is going to spell out uh, just in picturesque language the life of the believer. What's the life of a Christian all about? He states it very succinctly right here. He goes on. He says, to those who reside as aliens... Now, that's interesting. That's interesting terminology, aliens. Now, we believe that there had been a persecution. Folks uh, believe that this letter is written about A.D. 60, and there could have been two reasons why the persecution. One would have been the death of James. James, who presided over the church in Jerusalem. We have a record of his death. I think it's extra biblical. It's beyond the Bible, but he was beheaded around 62. And then the Roman persecution. That either one of those could have precipitated the scattering of these believers. But notice Peter addresses them as those who reside, that's interesting, as aliens. So the idea is that the persecution comes and they scatter. You know, what is persecution? Are they, are they threatened with bodily harm? Are they, are they just losing their livelihood? They have no way to make, you know, have a job now. Maybe they work for someone who is uh, antagonistic toward Christians and Christianity. Whatever it is, there's some movement going on here. They reside as aliens and then they're scattered. So they're sojourners. Uh, They're in a a different uh, part of the world. They've had to move. They're out of their comfort zone. They're out of what is familiar to them. That's important because while they are aliens, while they are scattered, Peter is going to bring home some truth to them that will nourish them and encourage them and help them. And the truth that he delivers is not foreign. See how this goes? You and I can, we, well, the Bible says it very plainly. We as believers are in the world, yet we're not of the world. That's really important. So while we are here, even 
Now, as sojourners, this is not our home. We have a new heaven and a new earth that we're looking toward. We are not of this world. We don't think like this world thinks. We don't have the ambitions that this world propagates. We don't have the mindset of this world. Uh, We have been translated out of the darkness of this world and into the kingdom of God's dear son, that kingdom of light. Now we have a different perspective on things. So we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We've been born from above. He'll get to that in a moment. But he's talking to folks who are under duress, hardship. The world is not friendly in many cases to the believer. And as as we think about that, it ebbs and flows. Persecution, the mocking, the scorning, the ridicule. That kind of persecution will come, it'll intensify, and it'll go. It'll, it'll be here, it'll be alleviated. It's just a pattern. It doesn't stay at a high intensity forever. And that's by the grace of God. But he is writing to people who reside as aliens. And then he describes these people as scattered. And they're scattered over quite a large area. He names the places. There's a story to tell with each one of these places. Pontus. Some were scattered throughout Pontus. Galatia. We have a letter. Paul wrote a letter to the churches that were in that region of Galatia. Cappadocia. Asia. Bithynia. So he's writing to these who have been scattered abroad. The word there for scattered is the word diaspora. They have been scattered. They have uh, been driven or they have had to leave their homes. Think about that. Think about the inconvenience of that. Think about the heartache of that. Think about the strained relationships. I mean... What if, what if half your family doesn't want to go or doesn't think it's time to go? What, you've got all kinds of things. How are we going to make a living? Where are we going? Where will we wind up? Where are we going to put down roots? The only thing that made sense was they, there, was, there was intense pressure on them to leave. He goes on to describe them as chosen, who are chosen. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Oh, this is, this is, these are some words of comfort. Although they're sojourners, they're aliens, they have been chosen according to God's foreknowledge. So if God knew them in his foreknowledge, God probably isn't surprised by the persecution. Do you think that when you and I face various trials, do you think it surprises our Lord, our God who chose us according to his foreknowledge? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So there, this speaks volumes that we have a wonderful Father in heaven. This is... um, 
you know, things can become tumultuous on earth. We can be kicked out of our comfort zone. We can feel the pressure of life in this world. It can certainly come really next to us that we're in it. No reminders needed there. But we are not of it. And there God not only chose them, but God in his great wisdom and knowledge is fully aware of the things that his children go through. What is plaguing you? What is distressing you? What concerns you? I can tell you tonight, it all concerns the Father. No need for you to think, I'm on my own down here. I'm in the world, no reminder necessary, I'm not of it. But you have a great God the Father in heaven who is aware of all the aches and pains. He's aware of all the spiritual burdens. He's aware of all of your regrets. He's aware of all of those things that, that concern you, that cause you to be anxious. God knows and God cares. And as one of the elect, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be with you. Uh, when the pressure is off, and he will be with you, certainly, when the pressure is on. Tremendously comforting. Is it amazing what the Apostle Peter has penned thus far? And we're, we're only just barely scratching the surface of verse 2. So according to the foreknowledge of God the Father... By the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Okay, what is that sanctifying work of the Spirit? Well, that's being set apart. It fits very nicely with not being of the world. We've been set apart. Which one of these is not like the other? Well, God chose you and set you apart. And now you have the work of the Spirit in you. And that is a sanctifying work. It is a work of being set apart. And what does that work of the Spirit, what does it look toward? Well, right here it is. To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. So, Peter, very familiar with the Old Testament, borrows from the Old Testament. It was a, it was a uh, sa the sacrifice in the tabernacle. Okay, so what would he do? He, they would kill the uh, kill the lamb, and they would take the blood, and the priest would sprinkle the blood two places. He'd sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, and then he would sprinkle the blood on the people. He would go out and sprinkle it on the people. They would be sprinkled with his blood. So when we think about blood, 
And in this case, his blood, the blood of Jesus. He says, we are set apart by the work of the spirit to do what? To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Okay, what is going on here? What is he saying? Well, when we think of blood, we, we first think of, of reconciliation, be reconciled with Christ. There's no way to have a relationship with Jesus and to know the Father apart from the work of Jesus on the cross, the shedding of his blood. Here in this portion of the Bible, when he says, and be sprinkled with his blood, this is with regard to living the Christian life. Isn't it interesting that we, we hold dear, okay, we, we start, okay, there's a beginning place with Christ. We start with him. And those, those things that are necessary for our new beginning, for our salvation in Christ, never leave us. You know, we, we, we cling to Jesus. Jesus is the source of our salvation. We, we don't grow beyond needing to walk with Jesus and love Jesus and focus on Jesus. The same with his blood, the same with the work of the cross. The same with the Holy Spirit. The things that we start with, we continue with. And Peter is just highlighting here the necessity of reliance on the blood of Jesus in our obedience to Christ. Because what? We're not going to be perfectly obedient. We're not. Especially when the trials come. That's what he's saying here. The trials are going to come. In whatever form and in whatever combination, trials will come to our lives. The thing is, never forget that you've been chosen by God according to the foreknowledge of the Father. Right there it is. It can't be plainer. You've been chosen. The word there for chosen, uh, we get our word elect. And how were you elect? Well, according to God's foreknowledge... By the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the Spirit sets us apart unto salvation. And then what is the life of, of a Christian? It is to obey Christ. I mean, I, I, I just, I kind of, I don't understand those that, those that have this idea that you, you can be saved, whatever, right? And then just do what you want. Doing what you want is not being saved. (laughs) Being saved is humble submission to Jesus and following his commands. And we've already said we won't do that perfectly, which necessitates to be sprinkled with his blood. Always appreciate the blood of Jesus and the value of the blood and the power of the blood for our continued and hopefully and trustingly increased obedience to him. And then I love this. May grace and peace be yours. He could have put a period there and that'd be nice. But Peter adds something. You know what he adds? In fullest measure. The word is pleroma. In the Greek language, pleroma, abundance. Fullness. 
It's used quite often in the New Testament because God doesn't do things halfway. He gives us the fullness of salvation. He gives us grace in the fullest measure, in peace in the fullest measure. Peter knows who he's writing to. He knows these folks have been scattered. He knows his letter is going to be copied and it's, some copies are going to Pontus and to reach the Christians there. And some of those copies are going to Galatia and they're going to reach the Christians there and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. And Peter knows that what these people need, what these precious believers need at this point in their life under trial and in the pressure cooker of life and being uprooted and not knowing what will happen next, he knows that the grace of God is sufficient for any and all believers. So he says, may grace, that's the unmerited favor of God and peace that comes through the unmerited favor of God be yours, a current, a present possession. And how much grace and peace? He says, in the fullest measure. In other words, I'm trusting God to pour his grace and peace on and in your life in the fullest measure. That in the hardest time, your hardest hour, your toughest day, that you will experience the grace of God and the peace of God in the fullest measure. May I just uh, double down on what Peter says and I just look you in the eye tonight and say, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But may you experience the fullness of the grace and peace of God in your life. May we all experience that. And know know this, that His grace is, is sufficient. Are you saying that my trial may not go away just yet? There's no promise on that, but there is the promise that while you're in it, the grace and peace will be evident in your life. Verse 3, Peter gives a blessing, much like Paul gives a blessing there in Ephesians 1, and I think it is verse 3 there. But Peter blesses the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He just gives God this great praise. Um, I trust that you and I are walking as worshipers before God, that we bless Him, that we give Him our worship, our praise, our thanksgiving. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Who according to his great mercy. Now, mercy is something that God gives that is totally undeserved. He has caused us to to be born again to a living hope. So according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, think about Peter and think about where he was. There was a time, I'm pretty convinced, that his hope had dimmed. 
I mean, I wonder where his hope was when that rooster crowed. Notice how this unfolds. According to his great mercy, I think Peter, Peter lived this. He, he had received God's great mercy. I think Peter says it's great because to him it was great. And we know that God's mercy is great. But for where Peter was and what he had been through and how he had let his Lord down. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. I, I just I feel like we're reading a letter that is written by an apostle who has a new lease on life because of the grace and mercy of God. This, this man was in the dark night of the soul, but no more. He, he has been born again. He has a new life. He has a new hope. He has a new family. He has a new perspective. He has a new relationship or a renewed relationship with his living Lord, this Peter. And he is using the encouragement that God gave him and he is pouring it on those who would be reading this epistle. According to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And notice, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. My, my. I know Peter, I know the women were there awful early. But I don't know if in that man's life, the life of Peter, that there was a more happy time, a more thrilling day than resurrection morning. Because he was born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead as all those believers in Jesus. And so he's just, he's just retracing what the Father does and how he does it according to his great mercy. We don't deserve salvation. We don't be, deserve to be born again. But God is the author of salvation. And Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. So there's the living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And, and why, are, why are we born again to a living hope? Well, verse 4, it gets better. To obtain an inheritance, that perks our ears up, inheritance. Hmm. Wonder what's involved. He says, which is imperishable. That means time can't affect it. Time can't affect it. It's undefiled. That means sin can't affect it. And will not fade away. Meaning no entity can go up to, the, to heaven. Overpower our Lord and steal our inheritance. Those three descriptions of our inheritance are important. Imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Now, get ready. You need to make sure you are seated and not uh, in any way, shape, or form going to fall off of your chair when we read this next part. I want you to look at this. 
Five words. Reserved in heaven for you. Wow. There's an inheritance in heaven with your name on it. What? I don't know what that is. I have no idea. I know when we get to heaven, we're going to see Jesus. We're going to see these uh, 24 elders. We're going to see these angels. We're going to be involved in this great worship and praise. And we'll be catching up with some of these Old Testament folks and catching up with some of these New Testament folks. And, and we're just, I, I mean, it's just hard to express or even imagine or wrap our minds around what heaven is like. But I know this. According to this scripture, there is an inheritance because he says that we were born again according to his great mercy, to the Father's great mercy. We are born again to a living hope. It's not a dead hope and it's not wishful thinking. It's a living hope. It's rock solid through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He guarantees that hope, that future to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I'm wondering what that is. Now, he goes on to say this. Not only is your inheritance protected, I mean, isn't it nice to know it's protected in heaven? It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it will not fade away. It's reserved. That word there really really means it's a present, it's your present possession. I mean, really, you don't have to wait till you get there to possess it. It's already yours. Nothing going to, nothing going to mess with that. It's yours. It's as good as in your possession. But notice this. Guess what else is protected? You are. He says, who are protected by the power of God, through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What is he saying? He's saying not only is your inheritance in heaven protected, but through the trials of this life, because these people are going through trials, through the sickness, through the financial distress, through strained relationships through whatever it is you are protected where does that protection come from who's in charge of your life are any of us ready to take matters into our own hands of course not we know this God presides over each of our lives and he numbers our steps and we are protected by what his power through faith we can't just put it in neutral right we're going to we're going to believe this we're trusting god and peter's just saying listen you've been uprooted from your homes people you're undergoing great persecution never fear You're protected by the power of God. Whether you're in familiar territory or unfamiliar territory, while you're in this world, God's power is protecting you through faith. 
We don't go into neutral. We don't just live like the, the old song. Boy, this will date me. Uh, Doris Day, K Sarah Sarah. I never liked that show anyway. I was a little, I was too young for it, I guess. But we have an active and vibrant faith in our God. He has covered all the bases for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Folks, we're getting closer and closer and closer and closer to that day. This life and this world will not carry on indefinitely. We are marching closer and closer to what Peter calls salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, one day Jesus is going to get the word and he's going to get up and he's going to come and he's going to defeat all his foes. And he's going to take all of his people home to be with him. I hope you trust that and know that. Peter alludes to it here. A salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then look at this, verse 6. Try to, we'll try to hold it, hold it down and be respectable. But he says, in this you greatly rejoice. I mean, how does it get better? What is a Christian life? It's not a life void or absent of trials. Those things happen. But we have a sure foundation in Christ. And he says, in this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. I'm convinced everybody's got their own trial mix. Not trail mix, trial mix. Boy, I almost said the wrong thing there. We've got our own trial mix. James says it in James chapter 1 that, you know, we have uh, just a variety of things that can come at our lives or be in our lives that can, that can cause us pressure. But the Lord uses this. Look, so that the proof of your faith sounds like this is a test. Does it sound like a test? Do you think the Lord would ever test your faith? Oh, yeah. You know, that's a lot of life is a test. Uh, the Lord's refining your faith. He's strengthening your faith. He's testing your faith. So that the proof of your faith being much more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There it is again, another reference to that, what, the first one was the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, and this reference to the revelation of Jesus. And though you have not seen him, Peter saw him, you have not seen him, you love him. Peter, do you love me? Here it is. Now he's passing it on. You love him. You don't, you, you don't see him. We haven't seen him. He's not here in the flesh anymore. You love him. And though you do not see him now, I don't see him now. He's not here physically. He says, though you do not see him now, but believe in him. That's salvation right there. Trust in Jesus. You what? You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. 
no words, and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And you know what? After all, that's what matters, that Jesus Christ came to save your soul. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you for your people. Lord, continue to work in us and through us and all to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.